This episode of Rebel Talk is brought to you by Rebel Tech. Human stories for startups. Rebel Shrebel, you've dropped your dress. Rebel Shrebel, your face is a mess. People are always, uh, their lives are always full of other people and other things. And we can choose to conform and follow what other people are doing. Or at any moment we choose to do something different. Sometimes it's deliberate and sometimes just mess it up. So I think the idea of being 100% rebel is, is not right. Rebel Shrebel, you talk Hello and welcome to Rebel Talk, a brand new podcast that celebrates rebels across every walk of life. Each episode we talk to the troublemakers whose predilection for bending the rules is driving progress, change and transformation. I'm your host Mark Schwakey and today I'm joined by Mark Earls. Author of highly influential books including Herd and I'll Have What She's Having, which apply insights from contemporary behavioural science to modern business, Mark came out of ad agencies such as St. Luke's and Ogilvy, but now runs his own consultancy called Herd, teaching big brands and organisations to think differently about how to make decisions. He's been described in The Guardian as like Malcolm Gladwell on speed, so we'll soon find out how accurate that is. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hello. How are you? Very good, thank you. You're a strange rebel for us, in a way, because your worldview is all about humans operating according to a herd mentality, or uh, in, a later, in a later book still, mm. about the wisdom of copying. Mm-hmm. Um, can rebels really exist? Yeah, they can do, but we all rebel a bit. So sometimes we do it deliberately, and sometimes we do it intentionally. But it's quite hard to actually be a rebel, um, which is it- why we celebrate them. But hang on, is it quite hard to be a rebel? Doesn't it come naturally to real rebels? No. Does it not... It's very deliberate. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep on punching the bag here. Is it not just hard for rebels to be rebels if they're just pretend rebels and they're, like, faking it? Don't real rebels just do their own thing? Uh, there are always people doing their own thing. There are always people at the edge. But they also do lots of other things yeah. that are very similar to other people. So I think the idea of being, you know, being 100% rebel is, is not right. People, uh, people are always... Uh, their lives are always full of other people and other things and we can choose to conform and follow what other people are doing or at any moment we choose to do something different sometimes it's deliberate and sometimes just mess it up right so for you rebellion is a percentage yeah that might change like a graphic equalizer at any one time totally loving it okay (laughs) yeah absolutely. so like yeah okay so i wake up in the morning i could be on a you know belting 78 percent But by about lunchtime, when I need a snooze, I'm kind of... But you, are you going to re- rebel over everything? But, you know, like, you normally drink your black coffee, but are you going to have white coffee today? You know, that's a rebellion of some sort. It's not a different right. choice. Not having fucking white coffee. No. Um, <laughs> Quite right. Are you a rebel? Yeah, sort of. Are you? Yeah. What makes you the rebel? Uh, I don't believe what people tell me. Anytime? Mostly not, no. Looking good today, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, have you, were you a rebel even when you were when you? Because we just had a conversation just before we started rolling yeah. about how you how your organisation works and how it's pretty um, flexible to the need. And you said you're allergic to overheads. You know, mm. when you were working in big organisations, was did you did you often find yourself rebelling against what was normal? Yeah, no, totally. That was what interested me and kept kept me in the in the advertising and uh, and marketing services game for so long is that uh, I thought we could do it better. Yeah. So, for example, I spent um, 18 months at Ogilvy experimenting with new um, remuneration models. 
because I reckon the way you get paid will change the way that you organise yourselves and what you do and the kind of people you have, right? So that's a yeah. fairly simple thing. And I could check in aside and say, look, don't be silly. So on your theory, just playing it out, is everybody potentially a rebel sometimes? Everybody can be, yeah. absolutely. There's yeah. no reason why you can't change the way that you, what you do uh, and what you accept from other people. Yeah, because I just got through, I think I read Heard a long time ago, mm-hmm. and I got through mm-hmm. Copy, 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 which mm-hmm. I loved. Thank you. Um, and I, I, I loved the idea, I mean, some of the ideas in there about, you know, copying isn't the kind of arm around making sure somebody doesn't see and trying to sneak a glance at you. Actually, my favourite copy story ever was I used to sit next to Matthew Holt in French uh, at school. Matthew, if you're listening, you're probably not. We don't have that many <laughs> listeners yet. Um, and, he, and he'd done his French homework and I hadn't. And Mrs. Parfit, she called out, uh, Shwaki, uh, can you read your French homework, please? And Holty just slid his homework over to my desk without even skipping a beat, just staring oh, her in the eye, just slipped it over. And um, she apparently didn't notice, so I kind of read out his perfect French prose uh, with my accent and everything else and nailed it. And without skipping a beat, she then went, and Matthew, could you read yours, please? So I <laughs> skimmed it over to the left, and he just read exactly the same thing out. We were busted. But copying is... We all do it every day. It's a skill and an advantage. Yeah, look, so so here's, it's, this is one of those examples where I've rebelled against how uh, what we're told the people, shapes how people behave. So, you know, in our, I, was, I was working with a bunch of people from Africa and Asia and the Latin, uh, Latin America, and uh, it occurred to me that... You know, whilst they're they're probably better educated than me, they're being really nice in accepting to play things. They were accepting that basically people act on their own, yeah, which is how we assume things are, yeah. Um, but all of their cultures assume fundamentally that human beings are connected creatures. That we, you know, we live our lives as uh, as Thomas Schelling, the uh, economist, puts it, in the shadow of others, yeah, um, and. So it just suddenly became an obvious thing for me to explore. And, you know, I built a sort of a reputation on it. The books are all about that kind of thing. You go, we're social creatures and we learn from each other. Do startups potentially disprove any part of your theory? So, and I, because we, we, we work with startups. Mm. We, our whole, you know, our whole market is B2B startups. Mm. And we call them rebels because they're either trying to fundamentally disrupt a category or indeed invent one of their own in many cases. Mm. So we class them as rebels and give them that as a platform and say, right, how are we going to do this in a human way? Uh, startup, I hustle and rustle for any money I can to go and invent something new that's going to break everything else. Mm. Does that dis- disprove the herd mentality? No, I think, I, think it's, uh, I think it's all part of it because, one, they'll normally take an idea from another context. We've had a bit of technology that works over here. We could just port it into this place and it'll bang, that's it. Yeah. So that's our copying piece. Equally, um, equally, when you've made something new, whether it's deliberately or not, it's been largely been through copying anyway. You know, you, music is always the same. We always think about, about the original performance of uh, a singer-songwriter who's bearing his soul. But actually, most music is you, other people's music that we've copied and yeah. we're performing. You yeah. know, that's, yeah. And we value the performance. Um, so it is with, with startups. You go, look, you know, this is a new combination of something that we've seen before. And we know from, you know, endless uh, marketing research uh, studies that actually in order to see the new, appreciate and adopt a new thing, people have to see it through a familiar lens. Yeah. Which is why, you, yeah. know, that, you know, that shorthand that uh, I think evolved out of Hollywood, which is we want to be the Uber of, mm. we want to be the Google of. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a way of borrowing interest from other people yeah. too. 
And uh, I suppose it, it, it plays out, actually, because if, if you are the startup founder mm. and you were going to invent a new digital platform that does something for someone right now, mm. you're actually likely to be banking on the herd mentality to make it successful. Oh, so totally. if you look at Netflix or Airbnb or any of those yeah. great big platforms, which is largely about people recommending, people sharing, people kind of pseudo-bragging about the greatest thing they've seen or the greatest holiday they've just had for cheat. That herd mentality That's plays absolutely, into success. Absolutely. So there are two ways that something so, can spread through a population, right? Yeah. One of which is that we all see it independently and go, you know, I think that's the one for me, and we grab it, we adopt it, right? That's quite common in things like podcasts and in, uh, well, media generally it's quite common, news stories and so on. There's another way which we know from uh, from uh, from social science, which is uh, that you, a small number of people see something, other people see the first lot talking about it, and then another lot see the yeah. second lot yeah. being excited about the first it's lot. Like the curve. It's a classic adoption curve, and that's yeah. copying. Yeah. And that's copying. That's yeah. what you need. To, you need to use those mechanics. And uh, my copy, copy, copy book actually encourages people to use those kind of mechanics. Yeah, the only more th- often. The only thing I saw in the book um, that I didn't buy into just because my eyes don't deceive me like I can't actually see was when you showed the bell curve and you said there's 10 times the area under this one than there is on that kind of and I was like I just don't see how that can be true but I trust you because you're a clever guy you wrote the book in fact I I I copied it from an academic as well yeah no it's my my co one of my co-authors on the previous book had actually done that done the maths on really good I know excellent yeah you're a self-confessed music geek yeah yeah. Do you want to geek out from it? Tell me about the Mighty Big Shorts. Uh, Mighty Mighty Big Shorts. We are a ska band. We've been playing together now for three decades nearly. Nice. Next year is our 30th anniversary, which is a bit of a shock. And it's a bunch of guys that I used to play, years ago played cricket a lot. And we started with somebody's shitty old acoustic guitar yeah. around a campfire on tour. And uh, it turns out that one of the guys used to play drums in a punk band. Um, and a nuclear physicist was brilliant at... Yeah. Um, at 60s sort of surf guitar noises and then and so on and so on so we'd, we've just been going and we play you know we play at people's parties and what do you play i'm the singer right okay. well when i say singer i'm really the bloke at the front yeah making the noises i look at those chops on your face <laughs> and i should have known it was scar because i was going to say what kind of covers do you do yeah. i'm in a i'm in a um a covers band i recently left in a hissy fit excellent uh terrible name Right. We nicked it from an 80s uh, Eddie Murphy film. It's Sexual Chocolate. Excellent. We also play at parties. We've done weddings. We spent 10 years turning every cover ever into horrible grunge pub rock and then actually got good at our instruments, so now we can actually... I think we're the same, really. We're like 40% of every song sounds amazing and then there's the ending and... Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. Yeah, the band that starts together should normally end together, more or less. Have you heard our theme tune for this podcast? No. This was me and a cousin. Two, three, four. Rebel, shrivel, you've dropped your dress. Etc. Etc. Brilliant. We do the whole thing. And, Brilliant. And actually, listeners, if you um, if you want to buy that on iTunes, then tell us, and we'll record the rest of the song that we haven't done yet, and we'll put it up and see if we can make seventy nine p a time. But yes, we uh, Rebel Schmebel was our theme tune. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. I've got a an old school friend who uh, is a pianist by by uh, training. I don't remember when Bowie appeared on Extras. There was a guy, yes. the accompanist. Yeah, it's about getting into that little section. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so Cliff, uh, Clifford Slapper, his name is, um, has just done an album of Bowie covers with a bunch of singers like uh, Mark uh, Armand and so on um, as a tribute. And he wrote, he was obsessed when we were at school with 
um, Mike Garson, who was the pianist who played on Aladdin Sane and all that yeah. period. And he used, to pra- he used to copy it and practice it and practice it and practice it. And he recently published a book, um, which is the first official biography of Mike Garson. Wow. So, but he copied and copied and copied, and now that's his, his life. It's just... So, first things first, have you got a mate called Clifford Slapper? I have got a mate called Clifford Slapper, yeah. That's just awesome. Can we all just take a minute over <laughs> yeah. that? What do you turn into as a frontman, though? Do you hop about for... Oh, oh yeah, ju- you- yeah, jump about quite yeah. a lot, and, you know, and, and I shout rude things about conservative yeah. MPs, you know. Yeah. But that's quite incongruous with a lot of your other passions, which are all calm and tranquility, like fishing. And yeah, and... no, I don't know what it is. I've always had music going on in my family since yeah. you know, since I can remember. And you know, as a as a pre teenager, I was in choirs and played in bands as a teenager. It just you know, it's always been there. So um, it and it's just evolved into the scar thing, which was happened at a critical moment in my development when I was at at university. The scar thing exploded from being something you heard in youth clubs with the bad boys, to something that was everywhere. Yeah, you got a good name, though. Yeah, Big Shorts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because originally we played in shorts. That's yeah, we didn't that have inventive. that. We didn't have that. We all had trousers on. Mm. You mentioned conservative MPs. I mm. note on your um, Twitter, you don't tweet an awful lot, but you do retweet an awful lot. Yep. It's very clear that you have um, a really strong view. And tell me about where we've got ourselves into as a society today it feels like i mean your thing about tribalism rather explains the challenging mm. place we seem to have reached and i'm you know i don't know about you but i've got you know, I, I, i'm trying to build a business that takes optimism and risk and a bit of entrepreneurialism and it's quite exciting i've mm. got kids that also takes a certain amount of optimism and there's risk there but there's you know there's ultimately you're in it for something good, but as a society, we seem to have got ourselves into quite a messy place. I think that's right. You know, it's fair to say that the technologies that we've got so excited about have brought out often the worst of us as opposed to the best of us. You know, a lot of the things that we talked about, the early days of the social web, how it would connect everything and everything would be cooler and we'd have access to all kinds of information, nothing ever be hidden from us again and all that kind of stuff, it's just turned out not to be really true. Mm. Um, the you know technology has been so widely adopted because I think it fits us, fits our how human beings actually are, and and the trouble is that the trouble is that it's easy to be when you're uh, when you're not seeing someone face to face. It's quite easy to be mean. It's quite easy to take offence. It's quite easy to have an interaction. But it spawns something more than just one to one offence. It spawned a it spawned a, a set of trends. Like for example faux outrage and and which kind of clouds real outrage where real outrage would absolutely be the the responsible and correct perspective on something and suddenly it gets lost in a noise of people throwing their toys out the pram for all sorts and so it feels it feels like social media like i was going to ask you about behavioral economics Mm. and copying in the age Mm. of social media Mm. but it feels like social which we're now all addicted to and started off as an exciting and broadly good thing with some flaws has now been kind of brought into the center of the circle as the thing that's doing a lot of harm and we're all kind of stuck with it it's it's helping us keep ourselves apart from each other i think is the thing because it's much easier to be part of a uh, part of a tribe than it is to be an independent person having their own opinion you know, it's just these are just shorthands that we use all of the time. And in other contexts, it's because we don't see that many people from other tribes much of the time. We don't have the argument. I but, remember going on uh, 
I remember going down to Millbank for a BBC interview when I was Marketing Week editor and we'd got this press release through the door um, saying News of the World was about to shut. It was going to print its last copy this Sunday and it got called out to me by a reporter. I said, no, go and read it again. I don't think you're right there. And he said, seriously, have a look. And I read it. I was like, oh, my God, I got the call. I'm phoning a bunch of marketers on the way down going, just tell me what it is your perspective so I can, you know... Um, but they asked me, and I said, I just don't think this could have happened five years ago. Like, five years ago, people were outraged by certain things, but there wasn't the volume and sheer volume of voices apparent to advertisers who were connected in some way with this this title and Rupert Murdoch's type of journalism and blah, blah, blah. So I thought it was a good thing. I said, I said about the, the Arab Spring that this could not have happened without social media, because you had lots of independent voices never talking. Although, this, although interesting in the Arab media point, and it's worth being sceptical about, yes, about, of course. Yeah. <laughs> about this, um, the evidence from that I've seen suggests that uh, most of the influence and most of the communication was in real world rather than in social media. Social media right. had a m- marginal amplifying effect as opposed to being the one major channel. I don't know if you remember when the uh, the rise of the of the Corbyn mania a year or so ago. Yeah, the um, uh, there was a lot of discussion um, on social media that now MSM mainstream media was dead because nobody would ever get there. Oh, everything's died. Everything's died. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but it's clearly not true. MSM isn't dead. It's yeah. just being shaped by different forces, different yeah. inputs. Um, the, the idea was that actually, so you know, Labour wouldn't need to use left wing politics, wouldn't need to use mainstream media at all. We could just ignore it. And you, well, that's just mm. that's just not sensible. Just in the same way that marketers have been encouraged, you know, to throw loads of money into social media. Yeah. And I, I haven't been involved in a project. Um, cross-industry project with uh, the IPA and the MRS and the Marketing Society and Facebook and Twitter have been involved in called IPA Social Works. And we looked at the best practice in measuring effectiveness of social, and it's really poor. Mm. Really, really The poor. MRS being the Market Research Market Society. Market Research Society, sorry, yeah. 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 Um, so all corners of the, of the, of the, yeah. of the marketing world. And, and frankly, the evidence for the effect of it is pretty poor. <laughs> You're an ambassador for and a strong supporter of the School of Life, which exists to develop emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. So feel free to tell us a bit about the School of Life, but the question is, can emotional intelligence be taught? Uh, I think it can. There are some people who, because of their genetic inheritance, aren't able to, or whatever's happened to them along the way. So people who are more on uh, on the spectrum, for example, find it harder to be emotionally empathetic. Um... But that's that's a specific minority of the population. Um, there are things that we can do, but remember that all that we, as human agents, we're acting within the context of both other people and what a business tells us we should be doing. So, you know, normally when you ask people in, in business to describe their organisation, they'll normally draw some kind of machine-like process thing that's normally on time, as opposed to the organisation really is a connection of people, a series of connections of people who interact with each other in different ways. Um, and uh, so long as the dominant fr- dominant frame for understanding organisations is the machine metaphor, which comes from Ford and all of that, you know, early 20th century nonsense, so long as that dominates, it's going to be hard to make uh, make empathy and emotional intelligence work uh, in an organisation. You have to find ways to embed it and protect it from, the, you know, the forces of the, the dark forces of the spreadsheet. 
Tell me about your dad. He was in marketing, sales and marketing. Right. Uh, but in for, business... For who? For Dexian and other people like that. Right. So not glamorous at all, but he was one of the guys who in the 50s, late 50s, early 60s, was was entranced by this philosophy of marketing where actually what matters is what the customer cares. Yeah. That's the thing. So... Yeah, so and what, organize everyone around delivering to that seems to me to, and it's still it's still important now. You know, we still have conversations now, and he tells me stories about particular terrible workshop he had. Or uh, where did you grow up? I uh, grew up in North London. We're, right. My family are all Welsh, so we're sort of outsiders. Yeah, um, and we moved there when I was about five or six, um, and so we we're Welsh. My mother ch- uh, translated and then later taught languages. My father was a linguist as well originally, and um, so we're Welsh. Have foreign stuff hanging around, and we're Catholic, which wasn't a big thing. In I think you like being an outsider, though, don't well, you? Well, I think it's I, I've learned to accept that's yeah. how it is. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Behavioral uh, Economics uh, man and Mr. Emotional Intelligence yeah. man and everything else. Why can't you help us solve climate change? Why haven't we solved climate change? This feels to me like one of the great big communication fuck ups of our time, right? Because yeah. we all know the facts, and it's got a deadline on it. There's a threat. Um, and we all know everything to do, but we're still outside of recycling. There's not a lot of us that not even it's not even like there's a lot lot of not a lot of us doing something. There's not a lot of us that put it front and center. Like all those great big problems, rather than business organization planning better and helping us understand our internal. Why aren't we using some of your powers, your superpowers? Well, interesting. Big... I have worked. I have worked with both Friends of the Earth and Greenpeace, as it happens. <laughs> but um, so I, th- I think humbled. Hum- no, no, no. That's, that's, that's a humble brag on my part. Um, I think they. Uh, I think that these big problems are big problems, and that sounds uh, fatuous. But what I mean by that is that they are not going to be solved by a simple thing. There are a number of things that you have to do to create momentum. Um, around the world now clearly some of it is going to be legislative regulatory that's kind of thing and that's hard because governments don't want to get in the way of business yeah and you know there is there are useful signs like how lots of businesses now realizing that um that they can no longer just rape and pillage the earth they're you know being caught cutting down rainforest isn't a good thing or you know flooding flooding the uh flooding the, the sea around florida with with oil that's not good either yeah. so let's not do that yeah. anymore yeah um and they're realizing that you know there has been a, uh, a sort of fad of the last 10 years for purpose in businesses so they're taking on some of the big problems to start but they won't do it on their own either you know we have to then find small things that we can do ourselves yeah i'm and- encouraged by um some of the darker things that have happened over the couple, last couple of years have generated a bit more political activism i've seen i don't know if it's true political activism in the in the same sense as it might have been in other ages mm. but there are people out there with banners and flags and demanding better and more of our leaders and uh, i i think activists are extraordinary yeah. and I've, I've been lucky enough to get to know some of the people on um activists at, at greenpeace who are just yeah. extraordinary people yeah. extraordinarily brave also you've got to say a bit unreasonable mm. Um, and, you know, I couldn't hold myself to those same high standards. I'm not very good at doing that kind of thing. I can play a role elsewhere, though, and I can yeah. say, look, you know, this is something, these are things that we can do to solve this problem. Heart, I love you so. Strap yourself in because we've got some quick-fire questions to cool. uh, end. Uh, this is 60 Second Rebellion with Mark Earls. Advice to your 16-year-old self. I don't worry, it would be fine. Your 16-year-old self's advice mm. to the adult you. Keep playing. Good. Nice. The most important single character trait for any founder, entrepreneur or rebel? Uh, persistence. Give yourself lots of chances. 
you're given the power and money to solve one big global problem and one tiny, annoying, day-to-day, small, first-world problem. What big and small problem do you solve? I'm going to solve climate change. I think it's just such a such an essential thing to our future. And um, what's the big one? Pa-boom. Ha! Um, what's uh, the small and the, one? And the small one. Uh, oh, I'll tell you what. People talking into their mobile phones. Like that. Like that, yeah. with their, and their palm out yeah. with, on, a, on a FaceTime thing. Yeah. And what are you most excited about? The next thing. I've got another book coming. Uh, Have in you? Preparation. Yeah, no, I haven't written it yet, but I'm, I'm working on it at the moment. Very best of luck with it. Thank Mark you. Earls, thank you for your time. We've really appreciated you coming in. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rebel Talk. Did you enjoy it? Nice, nice. We did too. No need to do anything about it. Be a rebel. Don't leave us a review. Whatever you do, don't leave us a review. We don't want to hear from you. Post-match analysis, Nicole Lyons, welcome to the studio. Welcome back to the studio. Just so everyone knows, I had to be given a baby pair of headphones yeah. just now because the big, the adult ones were falling off of my head. That's not what they called them, is it? They didn't. You called them baby headphones. They called them special. <laughs> they called them special. Yeah. What I wonder about all these guys, that uh, these people that sell themselves as we can change your behaviour and change the way you think, they've got nothing tangible to sell. How do they... How do they do it? How do they how do they unlock budgets? I mean, this guy's got a reputation, yeah, all right? He so does. he's written the books and everybody knows who he is. But how do you go to market to unlock with and unlock masses of budget from big organizations saying that the thing that we leave you with can help you operate in a totally different way? That's very that yeah, there's cre- a lot of tension well, to credi- that. Yeah, credibility and trust is huge there. I mean, you asked him during your conversation about it. Credibility and trust can work a hell of a lot better than something tangible. Yeah. It is the tangible. Yeah. But I have to say I very much enjoyed the parts of the conversation that weren't about marketing. Only because you've got better. to talk about your band. Everybody knows his marketing stuff. Everyone's read those books. Everyone's heard him on that. I enjoyed the stuff about his upbringing and the stuff yeah. about the music and the stuff about... Um, changing the world and solving climate change. I'd much rather hear all that stuff, actually. He's pretty generous-spirited. Or generously-spirited. He's like a normal guy. He's got cricket and fishing, and he yeah. and he works for this school of life, which is all about helping spread the importance and then the training of emotional intelligence. He puts himself about a bit. He's pretty, you know, St. Luke's and Ogilvy, two of the big agencies, the big ad agencies that housed him before, weren't enough for him. He needed mm. to be able to spread his wings and go and no, do I a, did a like, No, I did like that. Yeah. There was, there was, I think generously spirited is a nice way to put it, actually. Yeah. Um, he, he needed more than what he was getting there. He needed to kind of make more of a change, yeah. social change. That's all for this episode of Rebel Talk. I'm your host, Mark Schwakey. Thanks so much for joining us. My thanks also to our brilliant production team at Hard Six Audio to Spiritland in King's Cross for the beautiful studio, and to my Rebel Tech co-host Nicole Lyons and producer Meg Wright. Until next time, up the Rebels. Rebels, Rebels, your face is a mess. Rebels, Rebels, how could they?